Alan, again, thank you for joining. You're amazing. You're an amazing human being. Um, uh, I want that piece of the recording so I can play it. <laughs> Nobody else says that. <laughs> um, I, I really find your story interesting, like, like I told you months ago. And uh, I really wanted to have the opportunity to just chat officially because I feel like your story can serve as, a, as an inspiration. I already know most of your story, but I want the world to know your story. Um, again, like I said, I feel like what you and your wife um, built so far is really inspiring. And I feel like your personal story is inspiring as well outside of what you and your wife has right. done. Uh, so again, thank you. And if you don't mind, can you just introduce yourself and, and um, what, what you do as far as uh, you know, business-wise? business, business wise? Sure. So um, my name is Alan Kane. Um, these days I'm located in South Florida. Uh, currently, I work with my wife, Janice, and we run a, a small business called Custom College Visits. And what Custom College Visits does is we help families arrange customized multi-campus, multi-day college tours so that um, parents really get a sense that they've done the groundwork with their students for, um, you know, for college. Too many kids today, um, you know, drop out, change colleges because they didn't find the right fit. So we've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, I also do, I mentor, this is the third year, um, a young entrepreneurs class um, locally here in South Florida that, um, you know, I've gotten a lot out of. It's uh, been a while since I worked with teens like my kids and um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and I learn a lot as much as hopefully they're learning something from me. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for, for that beautiful introduction. And we're just gonna dive right in. Uh, yeah. so I know now you live in Florida, obviously, uh, but where did you grow up? What state did you grow up in and how was it growing up um, with your family? Sure. So uh, let's see, I was born in Jamaica, Queens. Um, when I was about four, we moved out to Comac, Long Island. And Comac, Long Island in 1959 was mostly potato fields. Um, and literally, um, my backyard, um, you know, opened up to a farmer who had a potato field. But it was, it was the beginning of massive growth out there in Suffolk County. Um, there weren't a lot of people when we moved. And what was interesting is they kept building neighborhoods and new schools. So we moved from Comac up to a little town called Mayapak, New York in 67. And by that time, I think I had, I was in sixth grade and I had been in seven different schools, which wow. can be taken multiple ways. Um, this group of kids was moved each time they opened up a, a new school. So, you know, you'd think that that would sort of open up and maybe it's why I am the way I am today about talking to <laughs> strangers. But, um, it, you know, it had its pluses, it had its minuses because when you're, you know, you're disrupted in a lot of ways, um, it's sort of, you know, it's crazy. Um, but my father, uh, my father had, 
a break and front end shop on Long Island, and then he moved into sales, and his territory was um, north of New York City. So getting off of Long Island every day became, you know, a really big issue. So they found this house in Mayapak, and, and Mayapak is just sort of north of the Westchester County line. Um, it's a, at that point, it was a, a summer resort. I mean, you know, sort of like South Florida today, where, you know, during the winter, you could probably zip through town at 70 miles an hour. But during the summer, you know, you crawled because it was bumper to bumper traffic. And we were literally about three blocks from this amazing recreational lake. Um, and uh, actually, friends of mine had given me a boat to work on. The hole had a hole, hole in it because they learned how to dock this boat. Wow. It. But it was one of those not-to-be's. I worked on the boat all winter and spring, and then my my mom couldn't stand it. She, um, you know, it was it was summer camp and a lot of outdoor garages, and she just it drove her crazy. So um, my father gave the boat away to a friend of his um, on Long Island who who used it for years until he blew it up one day. Um, but we then moved to um, Suffern, which is Rockland County, which is sort of on the New York, New Jersey border. And that's where um, I went to, to high school. Um, and, you know, I, I think I had a fairly normal high school. You know, I, I was on the JV tennis team, could never really play well enough to make varsity. Um, but, you know, I worked after school and, um, you know, I had all plans of, you know, going right off away to college. Uh, turned out my father got ill. He had a heart attack at 42 years old and um, had ended up having bypass surgery. And in 1972, that was, that was a crazy thing because even though, you know, DeBakey had invented that procedure maybe 10 years before, you know, there weren't a lot of people getting bypass, um, but, you know, it saved his life. And um, so I, I went to community college and then I went to college upstate uh, New York to a college called Fredonia, which is in between Buffalo and Erie, um, and made um, sort of one very long lasting friend. Um, you know, I'd say, I talk about the two, what, <laughs> two people in my life that have probably had the most impact I met on a tennis court, and that was my friend Andy and my wife. Um, and but I, he also Andy was also the editor of the school newspaper, so he invited me, you know, to do photography. And at that point, you did most of the photography work in the darkroom, and I fell in love with darkroom work. And I literally um, spent too much time in the darkroom. And you know, two weeks before the end of the semester said, oh, I don't think I can pass you know, my tests and dropped out. Ultimately, I went back, um, bounced around, worked for my dad, sold automotive equipment. And, and, and actually, uh, before we even... Um, sure. I am, yeah, guide me because I could just keep going. Oh, oh no worries, no worries. Uh, before we, we get into your colleges, I actually yeah. have some, some questions based on what you said earlier sure. about your, your childhood. So the first question I have is, New York is obviously a lot different now than it was back then when you were growing up. So in your opinion, and you were just in New York about a week or so ago, um, what are some of the things that you've seen just change drastically over the last, you know, few decades? Um, 
So, you know, I mean, the, the, the problem, Michael, is that, you know, so I didn't spend a lot, I mean, as a family, we go into New York City, to Chinatown, typically of a Jewish family, sort of Christmas Eve. Um, but we didn't spend a lot of time in Manhattan. Um, in fact, I've told the story for many years that my father said that neither I nor my two younger brothers would probably survive in Manhattan if we were to move in Manhattan. So that was definitely a, you know, a, a, an item on all our checklists, you know, growing up is like, we're all going to live in Manhattan at one point. <laughs> or another. Um, I think, you know, I think New York, New York has gone through so many ups and downs over the last 50 years or so. Um, you know, I worked in New York in the early 80s. Um, you know, it was... How it was, was that like? It was, it was fun. I worked on Fifth Avenue, so it was always sort of fun to stand outside and watch these, you know, worldly women dressed to the hilt, yeah. you know, scrapes up and down. Um, you know, I worked, I watched Trump Tower being built in a sense. Wow. Um, those were the days when, you know, we sort of all liked Mr. Trump. Uh, and you can edit that one out. Um, <laughs> uh, I worked as a, so when I went back to college, um, I, I ended up at NYU and okay. got a degree in accounting. Why didn't they tell me to go into computers? I'm not quite sure. That probably would have been the smarter move. But you're good with math, Alan. Become an accountant. Little did I know I didn't really like to put the numbers in the boxes. Um, but um, you still, and it, even to this day, New York, you just have to be careful. You always have had to be careful. I mean, I remember I was studying for the CPA. And um, I was walking home, to, I was walking to the Port Authority from, you know, somewhere north of 47th Street. And I walked, I used to walk down 43rd Street. And, you know, the, the two stories is one is I met somebody, and this is, you know, 10 years after I graduated high school, that I went to high school with, probably at 10 o'clock at night on 43rd Street between, you know, 7th and 8th Avenue. It's like, really? Um, but another night, I, you know, I, I walked into a, a, a cop who's like, why are you on 43rd Street at 10 o'clock at night? There's nobody here. Um, I'm like, because there's nobody here. He said, hey, you know, go walk on 42nd Street. You know, there's a somebody every 10 feet. It's safer. Okay, I'm 6'2". Not that I'm a macho type of guy, but I, I, I never was really scared for myself. I got, I was in the city with my cousins one time, I was probably 13 years old, and, you know, somebody tried to mug me, but I just kept walking, I, you know, you know, I was just, just talking to my wife this morning, I mean, this, these, this guy that got killed in Morningside Heights yesterday, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I said, you know, my son lives in New York, I said, I'm not going to tell him to move out of New York. That's not the issue. The issue is just as much as you can to be aware. I think that's what my father, you know, tried to teach us all is just be aware. I, I don't care who you are of your surroundings when you're in, a, in New York City, because it is that kind of place where you just don't know what you're going to walk into. Sure, sure. Um, a, a funny story um, that happened in the mid 80s was I um, was talking to a coach 
and he was following some guru from California. And, and I, I'm jumping ahead, but no, you're fine. Go ahead. talking about New York City. Sure. And um, he invited me. It was, it was sort of pre-Tony Robbins, a different kind of coach. Um, and he invited me to this men's thing one night that was taking place somewhere near Morningside Heights, somewhere up near Columbia. I don't, I don't remember where. And, you know, you walk in and register, and the big sign on the table was, leave your guns and knives. And, I mean, literally, there were tens of guns and knives on the table. And it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't that you just walked into this thing. It was, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it was a it was total men's thing where, you know, you got crazy with a bunch of other guys and um, war paint and the whole nine yards. And we walked out at two o'clock in the morning to go get the car. And at the time I was living in North Bergen. Uh, my wife, um, we weren't married yet, but we were living together, and she was away. And I invited this other guy because he needed a place to to stay. And the car was not where I left it. Mm, wow! And here I am at two thirty in the morning with war paint on, looking for a cop to say my car was stolen. Um, he looked at me, they looked at me very strange. Ultimately, we, we took public transportation back and I don't remember if, I think ultimately they found the car, but it, that's New York. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's got every level of any kind of, any kind of craziness and any kind of, um, goings on that, you know, that you can think of. And I think that everybody should experience New York. I brought friends in, into New York who had never been in New York, and they're just like, ah, huh, really? Um, you know, the number of people on, walking on the sidewalk, you know, during, during the lockdown, you know, certainly that wasn't happening. But I think today, again, I think, you know, well, it, it, I don't know if it's happening. I mean, actually, when Jess and I were in New York last week, we um, went down to South Street Seaport. I'm like, I remember South Street Seaport, and I'm going back 30 years, where, you know, you walked in, and it was sort of like the market in Philadelphia or in Seattle, Pike's Place, where there were a million stalls, and you could get any kind of deli cheese. Now it's an I-Pick movie theater. But yeah. we went into um, an Italian restaurant, and there were no people. And he said, well, the problem is, is that, you know, so many people are now working remote. Mm. Um, he said we had a great summer. He said we had an amazing summer, but you know it's sort of going into winter, and um, you know there's just so many offices are closed that you know we're we're just not seeing a lot of people. Um, you know, help has been sort of catch as catch can. Um, and in the other thing about New York, totally different than down here in Florida, is that every restaurant you want to go into they ask you for your vaccine card they ask you for identification if you don't have that you don't eat in that restaurant we had friends who um we were meeting for um brunch and and he's a first responder and he's in new jersey and you know he doesn't carry around his vaccine card they would not let us eat inside we had to eat wow. outside so it, it, it you know, like that surprised me but, you know, de Blasio has laid down the law, I guess. I guess they have inspectors. So, again, 
I, New York is, um, could I live in New York in the right places? You know, it, it's, it's definitely a conversation that um, we've actually had in the last month or so because Florida, South Florida is, is just nuts. They're actually raising our rent, we think, next spring by $1,500 a month. Wow. Yeah, seriously. Um, and, you know, we're like, do, yeah, I will not take that kind of rent increase for any number of reasons, but it's like we've started putting pins in the board as to, so where would we move? Right. Um, and would, you know, would we move out of South Florida? And there's a bundle issue to deal with. Um, right. Would we move back to New York? You know, six months ago, you could have gotten amazing value in New York City. Right. I'm not quite sure today, you know, it, it's people are going back. Yep. Um, but it, it's, for a couple like us who like sort of an urban environment, who like um, to be able to walk around, to go to shows, to go to museums, to go to restaurants, you know, New York, San Francisco, uh, even I've talked to my wife about South Beach and she looks at me strangely. Um, you're too old. I'm like, no, I'm not too old. <laughs> um, uh, it's just, there's just people. And there's so much going on and there's so much variety and, you know, so that's, I don't, I don't think I answered your question. No, you did, you did, <laughs> you did. No, thank you for, for, for that beautiful breakdown. Okay. Uh, another question I, I want to follow up with sure. regarding something you said earlier was the fact that you guys moved so much. And I'm curious, uh, now that you're obviously an adult, looking back, how, first of all, do you think it shaped partially shaped your personality or parts of you? And number two, if it did, how do you think it, it changed you as a person or molded you as a person? Yeah, so the interesting thing, like I said, is that we didn't move. I lived in the same house, but yeah. the, this group, let's call it three blocks square, was kept being moved to these new schools. Yeah. Um, and did it, absolutely. I mean, I really, for a lot of years, struggled with the fact that um, I didn't have any, I never in my life had a lot of long-term friendships. And I really think that that was part of it. Um, because as a kid, if you, you know, if you're constantly, you meet people and you, in a sense, live with them for a year, and then that's broken by something out of your control, and then you go off to the next one, and you certainly don't have control over your transportation or, you know, bicycling too far away. Um, I, I really, I, I can't blame anybody. I think at the time, so this is the 60s, I think they thought it was great. Hey, look, we just built a brand new school. It's got all kinds of resources. We need to, um, I think that it was, um, and it was tough. Um, and, you know, so we didn't, we, you know, really moved three times from 59 to, till I graduated high school. And then I went off and moved. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, I, Janice and I have moved a lot, um, in our, in our marriage of 38 years. Um, some of it purposefully getting out of the Northeast, some of it because of, um, the economy and where a job might end up or, um, you know, San Francisco, um, you know, we, we, when we had our first 
we had our daughter, we needed a bigger place, and then we got flooded out of that place, and then, yeah. so, did it, you know, has that added to, adds to my stories, if nothing else, <laughs> I'm not sure, it really, my kids loved it, um, my wife hates it, you know, it's like, but, um, you know, in, in sort of Comac, in that move, I think, I, I, I think, as I've looked back on it over the years, I think it was very detrimental. I think kids need um, stability. Sure. I think they need consistency. Um, and if it, you know, if I um, wasn't, you know, a, a parent uh, in that situation, I would fight, knowing what I know now, uh, against that situation. I don't. There's only. I know. I have no contact with anybody from that period. Um, I have had over the years contact with one of my friends from high school in Suffern. So I didn't make friends. Now, can I blame that on that period? Maybe. I have. <laughs> I've done a fair amount of therapy on it off over the years. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, I think it was, it became really difficult to make new friendships. Right, right. And then what advice because your situation is actually unique because usually if a kid is switching schools, 99% of the time is because the parents moved, right? right. So what advice would you give to um, parents or families that find themselves in that situation where either they be in the military or not in the military, um, what advice would you give to parents to be cognizant of regarding their kids when they're making these decisions to kind of uproot um, their families from wherever they live. If it would have to be like one advice you, you could give. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I think it's an overall advice. I think that you need to stay close to your kids. You need to listen to your kids. Um, you need to sort of, I, 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 I talk about my feelings and what I've seen when I, during you know, my kids growing, raising them, is that I watched too many parents um, you know, push off their kids on teachers, on, on babysitters, on, you know, well, I have to do this. I have to work. I have, no, I mean, my kids might say, Hey dad, you were on the side of the soccer field on the phone. Well, my jobs for the most part were sort of 24 seven. I was responsible for tech support and, you know, people would call me. Um, but I was on that soccer field. And I, and, and I think there's too many parents out there, and, and maybe it's the way they were raised, I don't know, who just, you know, they push off their kids. Uh, we talk about, you know, so I'm in the college business. Um, how many times I went to college nights with our kids and the class in the public school, not so much in the private school, but, you know, the same. Um, the, you know, class was either 30 or 180, and there'd be 10 parents. Well, we have to work, we have to do this, we have to do that. I think, yes, it's a tough world out there, but I think if you're not involved with your kids, then what happens is the kids stray, the kids start into problematic situations, whether it's drugs or going you know, to parties by themselves. You know, how many parents drop off their kid and don't know what the heck the party's going on? I, I mean, I, this is these are things that I, you know, heard about, lived through, and ex experienced. Um, and I think that just the bottom line is, um, you know, our kids do a lot of sports. 
And, and one of the reasons that they did a lot of sports was that we were there. And, you know, whether it was 5 o'clock in the morning with my daughter ice skating or playing golf with my son, and I'm not really a golfer, um, you know, I, I wanted to be, you know, with him. And could I have done other things and did that time that, you know, but I was there. You know, I made, we made sure to make the time that, um, that they were there and that they had things that, you know, my, both my kids still play soccer. You know, 125 does pickup games in New York. Um, sort of pre-post maybe COVID, my daughter plays adult soccer out in California. Um, so I think, you know, um, too many parents, and, and, and they just, they don't get it. Right. No, that's get it. That, that attention, um, that time, and, and, yeah, and legitimately some don't have it. Um, but... I mean, I was, I, for many years, was sort of that latchkey kid. My mother worked. My, my mother went out and sold. But they were around. Right. Um, I, I, and I think, we, you know, we were around. I mean, the, the mornings that I got annoyed was it was 5 o'clock in the morning and Brittany needed to go to practice before her skating lesson and she didn't want to get up. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm up. <laughs> 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 no, no, that's a good point. I feel like parenting is actually, a lot of us don't look at it this way, but parenting is a lifelong profession. And it's one of the only professions where there's no schooling for. Right. Right. right? You can't go and major in parenting or take a class. Or maybe there are classes on parenting, but for the most part. I've, I've never seen any. I right. Mean, it's definitely the line in the sand. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely having a, a, a child whether that child is healthy when they're born or has problems um, or what, you know, God forbid, um, doesn't, you know, make it, um, it's definitely a line in the sand. Anybody you talk to who has, you know, a child, no matter how old they are, um, you know, knows that instant when, you know, their, their child came into the world and how their life then, you know, changed. Sure, no, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so moving into your college years. Sure. Really? You have to do that. <laughs> where was your mind at this point? Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, at, at, there was a point where you felt like, okay, maybe this isn't what I want to do, or maybe this isn't what I'm good at. But on a, on a larger scale, did you have a, an idea at least of who you wanted to be? Um, the, the the way you wanted to take your career in what was your what was this, what was going through your mind at this point during your college years? I, you know, it's <laughs> I still say I, I you know I want to figure out what I want to do when I grow up, um, which at sixty seven is sort of um, I, I don't know I you know I was always interested in business and you know in, in high school computers were just starting to come on the horizon in, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. So I graduated high school in 72. Um, and as I mentioned, my, my dad had a heart attack in the spring that year. Um, I had applied to some of the SUNY colleges. Uh, it got accepted to Fredonia, which is, as I said, in between Buffalo and Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, I don't remember who, where else I was accepted. But I ended up having to put it off because my my dad, after the heart attack, um, ended up in Cleveland um, and whole 
big emotional health story on that, but ultimately, you know, ended up having this quadruple bypass in Cleveland. And, you know, and my, my, I was there to support my mom. I went and picked up the kids from, you know, school, religious school, all of that, and whatever she needed. Um, and, you know, so I said, I can't go away to school. So I went to Rockland Community College for a semester, and you know what was I at that? I shouldn't say at that point I wanted to go into medicine. At that point, I thought I could be a doctor. Didn't didn't prove true, um, but I end you know so, but I needed to get out. So I, I I contacted Fredonia and said you know I you guys accepted me. I'd like to um, you know uh, enroll the spring. Of, so that would have been. Spring 73, and they said, sure. And actually, we went on a visit. My parents and I drove up to Fredonia, which is about a nine-hour ride. Oh. Um, you know, and um, I, that summer, I went, so I went for the semester, um, had some interesting roommate issues, um, but went that summer, Caught up some credits, worked full time. Uh, actually, worked for my mother. Worked for Shortline Bus Company, which is a major um, bus company in the New York metropolitan area. And and I worked in the Port Authority, um, selling bus tickets, nice. um, and and going to school. And went back up to Fredonia that fall. Um, roommate was from Long Island. He and I did not get along at all. I ended up, you know. <laughs> Anyway, long story short, so as I said, I got involved, I met Andy, got involved in the newspaper, got involved in photography, uh, was studying, you know, chemistry, took a chemistry exam and, and walked over to the register and dropped <laughs> the class. Um, literally begged my way back in and said, maybe we shouldn't follow the med route, let's go to business. Photography was just, it's always been my thing. I, I had a neighbor... Um, on Long Island, who you know, his father had a dark room. We used to play in the dark room all the time. But I did. I couldn't see this career. It's interesting. We were sitting here talking. My dad at one point said, "If that's what you want to do, go in New York City and apprentice yourself to a photographer. That's how you become." A and he was right. But I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to make a lot of money, and that wasn't sort of in the cards. So I ended up dropping out again, even though they let me in. I ended up dropping out again, and I did some baby photography. Um, and, uh, in like, you know, some of the retail stores for a while. Um, and I ended up, um, hurting my back. Um, I sprained my back picking up a kid one day and oh, wow. so worked for, for about eight months on disability. And my two younger brothers were headed to college. My father had lost his business and my mom was looking for financial aid. And they said, well, if Alan goes back to school, you know, we'll get you more money. So timing was perfect. So I went back, I got my associate's degree at Rockland Community College and, um, you know, uh, went upstate again to a SUNY school and ended up going to school five nights a week. And I'm like, wait a minute, all my friends are going to school during the day. Yeah. My brother's accepted to NYU. My best friend's going to Union. Why am I at, at, at SUNY, you know, Utica? So, um, NYU actually accepted me. NYU actually accepted a lot of my credits. And um, I got this degree in accounting. Um, and, you know, sort of uh, tried to get a job in public accounting in 1980. And I was too old. 
So it's really interesting because uh -huh. in 1980, most public accounting firms wanted you know a 22-year-old green kid um, without any life experience, without any work experience. And then I was told this for a fact. I mean, I had interviews and the referrals that got me the interviews were the feedback was you're too old. Wouldn't say that to my face, but you know. So ultimately, I, I, I did. I went to um, worked for a company called Lowe's Corporation. Now Lowe's owns uh, Bull of a Watch. At the time, um, Preston Robert and Larry Tish, very incredibly wealthy people, that run the hotels. So I was an internal auditor for them. And I got to travel some, and I got some experience, but as I said earlier, I really learned that I didn't like putting numbers in the boxes. So I got out of there, went and found a new job as an internal auditor for Gray Advertising. And it was me and the, the uh, director of Worldwide Audit, and that, that lasted about eight months. Uh, you know, he um, a very gruff individual, and he said to me one day, you know, do this or I'm going to kill you. And I, you know, turned. Yeah. Did he met? Or you would be jokingly? It was just his way, but it was constant. It was constant, Michael. And I turned around one day because I couldn't stand it anymore. And I said, with a gun or a knife. <laughs> next, thing I, next thing I knew, we were having a conversation in the commissary. And he's like, no, 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 no. I said, well, no, you can't do that to me. I don't care who you are. Um, at that point, I, uh, my, my mom had started her cookie business. I said, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. And off I went. And I mean, I ultimately sort of kept in touch with both um, the heads of audit for both Lowe's and, and, um, and Gray Advertising um, over the years for, for a long while. And, you know, I wasn't mad at them, and they weren't mad at me. It's just the way, but, you know, don't threaten me. I mean, that, that's just, you know, yeah. Um, so, auditing, yeah, I took the CPA twice, and I passed one part and fell another by, you know, three points. And if you didn't uh -huh. pass two parts, and at that point, I said, no, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So I went and joined my mom in the cookie business. Exactly. My mom said, wait a minute, my college graduate son is washing dishes in the back and breaking up concrete slabs because, and, and so that didn't work. <laughs> and then I, so I moved over to my dad's business. And then, you know, then my wife in sort of 87, 88 said, you know, there are better places in New Jersey. And I really wanted to get out of, from under the family business tree, you know. So that's, at that point, we moved to California. Gotcha. It's a whole other story, but you know, of course. You, you were writing, so I'll stop. Of course, of course, no worries, no worries. And then, so actually, that's a great segue. So, you, you guys get to you move to California, you make you're in California. What city did you move to? Moved to San Francisco, San Francisco. So, okay. so, there, I mean, you know, there is a story. The story is we, um, we had been in Seattle a couple few times in 88. 89, early 89, because my wife's friend from college was getting married and she was a bridesmaid. So we, um, we were out there and sort of really liking Seattle and said, okay, you know, I said, okay, let me, let me go to Seattle. So I went to Seattle in June of 89 looking for a job. And, you, you, I just want to say, you don't strike me as someone that would enjoy, well, I don't want to say enjoy, that's a strong word, but there's nothing wrong with Seattle, but it doesn't seem like the best fit for your personality 
It wasn't. I mean, it. I mean, so there. Yeah, there were a few things. One is, so I stayed with our friends, and she. I love her. I love them dearly, but you know, she's definitely born and raised in Seattle. So one day she came home saying, "I saw death cross the highway in the morning, and in the afternoon there was a fatal accident." Wow. And she got mad at me for not cleaning, you know, up the place. I'm like, well, I guess not that this is a hotel, but. And, and I couldn't, I, it, Seattle in 89 was an interesting place because all the Californians who were moving there were being, you know, sort of, how do I put it? The, 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 the newspaper headlines, I mean, literally half the newspaper was the Californication of, of Seattle. So it, was, it wasn't, yeah, no, this New Yorker didn't really love Seattle at that point. And, and we're still actually, we were out there in August. We're still sort of like, you know, it's one of the pins on the map, whether that's reality. And see how it's different today. Yeah. But um, what happened was my youngest brother had followed his girlfriend. We probably shouldn't put this in the thing. But um, out to San Francisco. And I took the train down to San Francisco. Walked around San Francisco and just really fell in love. I mean... I lived in Greenwich Village. I went to NYU. San Francisco, to me, in 1989, was just a better version, bigger version of, you know, Greenwich Village. It had everything. And so I spent a week sort of exploring San Francisco. Um, in August, I went back and, you know, found a job. The, the woman said, well, if you're here the day after Labor Day, you know, I'll put you to work. It was selling a voicemail service. Voicemail was brand new and you know that point. And I uh, you know and I in between I had gone home and said, We're going to San Francisco and everybody looked at me like I was totally out of my mind. <laughs> You're supposed to be going to a cheaper place. So I want to go to San Francisco. You know, everything's happening there. Um, we had we had actually bought a condo in Mawa, New Jersey. Um, and then we actually sold it. So at the time when I came back, we were living with my in-laws. So that, going to San Francisco, no, Alan, you should be going to Austin. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, we're going to San Francisco. So we went. You know, we put the cat under the sea, a couple boxes, stayed with a friend, found this flat, um, you know, moved into the flat this early October weekend. And then three days later, you know, uh, the earthquake hit. Oh. So... Um, Luckily, so that job that I found in August lasted about three weeks, but I found another one and I was hired as the manager of a brand new computer rental office in San Francisco, uh, a young guy in New York who had you know, done incredibly well in the computer rental field because, you know, he could get hold of the latest and greatest computer, which in 1989, 1988, 1990 was, you know, all the mergers and acquisitions going on on Wall Street, you know, they would you know, Goldman Sachs would call him up and say, I need 20 computers because we're just turning data. And he was able to come up with, you know, the newest stuff and charge for it. So he started opening up computer rental companies across the country. The problem was San Francisco had computer rental companies, number one. Number two, it was the land of the clones. Mm. And he was buying IBMs and he couldn't figure out why you couldn't, rent an IBM for the same price as a clone. So ultimately he started building clones in New York, which New York City is not the place to build clone computers. Sure, sure. But anyway, I you know, so um 
I literally, I built, you know, a little bit of help from his Yelp page ads, but I built a million dollar business within, you know, a year and a half, um, renting, you know, renting computers across the whole Bay Area. Um, But like the rest of my career, you know, I must have said something that pissed him off. And (laughs) I, 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 you know, as you can We've talked before. I, I guess I'm just fairly independent, and I believe I know what I know. And it it's always sort of irked me when I do something, and then somebody comes in. I don't care if they're the owner, and that's the problem. And it's like you don't know what you're doing. I said, well, then show me what I'm doing wrong. Right. Well, if I have to do that, then I don't need you. And the irony is, in the early '90s. Twice I built businesses for people and, you know, they come back into it and say, well, I don't like the way you're doing it. And I'm like, well, we just built this from maybe not zero to a million dollars in revenue. We've just, you know, increased, you know, one, one tech company, you know, when I got there, there were three techs and he was having all kinds of problems. Um, you know, two years later, there were 27 texts on the road covering, and it's like, you, you, you're not doing it right, Alan. I'm like, ah, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, um, but I, I really, you know, I spent about 30 years, you know, in and around computers and technology, and I mean, ultimately, um, I'm not, you know, I'm a fast learner, and I did things that a lot of people, you know, some of it was luck, some of it was I had this friend who wanted somebody who he could trust. You know, I talk about Andy. Um, he he pulled me in to, um, to Oracle, um, not because, you know, I had a computer experience, but he knew me. And that's what makes business. It's who you know, and can you trust them to bring you back the information that you need in order to see Andy was VP of a about a 300 person group at Oracle and um, all developers and and some marketing people he his group built the first CNN site his group um, was working on um, you know the, the email phone unified messaging solution that you know at that point this is late 90s uh, or mid nineties, you know, that today we think of as second nature. Um, his, his group d- built the first internet store. So I was, I was involved with all these, you know, developers. I was responsible for, um, getting, you know, higher end systems. I was responsible for all the tech. Um, I had, you know, sysadmins working for me. Um, and I, I'm probably one of the few tech people in, that, that ever was at Oracle without a computer science degree. Wow. But I'm a sales guy and I'm a marketing guy. And if you make friends with people and you ask, I mean, at one point I was able to get for free on loan a quarter million dollar computer from some microsystems because we needed it to test. Right. And I was like, can't make that happen. I said, watch me. But, you know, it's, um, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's, it, it's been an interesting career. <laughs> sure, sure. No, absolutely. And then even about your career, looking back, you mentioned earlier that your dad suggested 
that you possibly yeah. uh, uh, entertain the idea of doing a, an apprenticeship right. with, a, with a professional photographer. So looking back, do you feel like that's the route you should have went? And if you're a child or not a child, but somebody approached you, a young adult approached you today and said, should I follow my dreams with, with the idea that I might not get paid a lot? Or should I pursue a higher making, you know, higher salary? What would you advise based on your personal experience and what you've been through? I, th I think if you if you can accept it, I think you follow your dreams. I I, I think you follow your dreams, but I think you also look. I've I've done a lot of things in my life, and for a long time, I regretted it. I kicked myself about it. I let's say cried, but I was really upset about it. Today I look back and everything I've done, you know, at the end of the day has contributed to who I am sitting here talking to, to you. Okay. And some people like me and some people don't like me. And, you know, but I don't, I don't regret, I really don't regret anything that I ever did because it somehow or another, um, you know, contributed to, um, to who I am today. Um, you know, I, one of the, the, I'm not having the discussion with my son. Um, I, you know, he um, he needs to change jobs. And when they were here during the pandemic, I said, "Quit the job, come down here. I don't care if you're a barista for six months. Well, who's going to pay my rent?" I said, "We figure it out." But I don't believe being 25 years old and miserable, which he he'll admit to his mother, he won't admit to me. But I can see it, and it, and it, it concerns me, and I've said this out loud, um, that, you know, so Philip started life um, with open-heart surgery, and even though, you know, he still can go out and run marathon, he tried last year, and I think he, he didn't, he, something happened, um, so he's, he's healthy, doesn't mean that that added pressure, so I, I believe that, yes, you should, you know, follow your, your dreams. Um, but I also think that sometimes, you know, reality gets in the way. Um, you know, my daughter loves working with kids. Um, you know, her, um, in, in, you know, uh, COVID stopped her from being able to go work in theater for young adults because everything's shut down. So, yeah, but she's working in, a, in an independent bookstore that she's worked in for years. And I, I really think she's enjoying it. Ultimately, I hope she'll get back into theater. Um, but, you know, Brittany, Brittany, at one point, I couldn't keep track because she'd do one thing in the morning, one thing in the afternoon, one thing, you know, in the evening, and then on the weekends, do something else. So I think at one point, she had six different part-time jobs. Okay. Um, but that's also, you know, it's important. You know, Janice and I were talking about um, one of the students she's working with right now has no, and a lot of kids today, have no work experience on their resume in high school, no nonprofit volunteer experience. Colleges are looking for that stuff. They they want to know that you've stretched outside your academics. They want to know that um, you know. And, and I don't mean that you know they 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 went to Africa and started a nonprofit um, school. They don't you don't have to necessarily go that far, but but just sort of you stretched outside of yourself. Um, but, you know, I, photography is something that I think 
at the end of the day can be very strange. So I think that that, and that's why I think sort of, you know, I look back and it was hard for me to grasp. Um, you know, I, 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 it took me 30 years because of what went on in college to really pick a camera back up. And even then, when I lived in Half Moon Bay in California, I lived a block from the ocean. And I, I picked my camera back up and I have some amazing pictures of hawks. Um, I, actually, I'll send you a link. I put up yes, that. Please do. Um, and, yeah, I loved it. But it brought, it brought me back to, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be working. I'm not supposed to be working on this. Yeah. I mean, that, it's scary. Um, I, I had a, so I went out and bought a new uh, DSLR. And I hadn't bought a new camera in almost 30 years. And uh, that Monday morning, I walked out to the beach, and on a bench um, was this hawk, raptor. And, and this, you know, it, it, Half Moon Bay is right on the Pacific Ocean. It is a free fly zone. It's, it's nature, you know, it's all protected. You could go out there one day and see whales and dolphins. And, it, and this hawk literally posed for me for 15 minutes. I have about 130 shots of it. And it did everything from, uh, and I'll send you the link, spread its tail. And I was no more than eight feet away from it. Um, spread its tail, its wings, you know, posed. I mean, it literally was like having somebody pose for you. And then I took it and, you know, I put it in an art show. And I had it posted in a newspaper. And yet I had a full-time job. So, it's, you know, I think that's to go back to it. But you also have to pay the bills. Yeah. So, balance, so balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and photography, different than a lot of things, I think, is I want to say who you are and who you know. I was watching Morning Joe this morning, and um, uh, Mary McCartney, um, you know, whose mother was an absolutely amazing photographer, who's you know, father Paul McCartney, um, you know. She's a photographer, in, 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 and, and, she's, and they're really good, but they also have access mm. that you and I would never have. So, well, I, I don't want to put that on me. Um, I'm going to have that. I have that access. I'm going to have that access. I welcome that access. <laughs> but I, I see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying because there's a huge difference and it does go a long way being born into that access, right? I wasn't born into that access. Or, or, or yeah, somehow, you know, um, getting into, I mean, even, even, you know, coming back to custom college visits, I mean, our clientele is high net worth. That's not me. I don't have that circle of friends as much as I'd love to, um, connect with those people. I, you know, I've gone to the billionaires networking group. Um, it's, this, there is something about access um, to, you know, certain circles that enable you to do that kind of thing. Sure. No, you're right. You're right about that. Um, and I think part, partially, it also has to do with our society, right? The, soci the societal construct we're born into. We're born into a society that tells us, well, if you want to be a teacher, that's all you're ever going to be, right? There's no room for, well, why don't you consider being an artist or you know, being a photographer or taking an acting class to see where your talents are, you know? Um, so I actually admire what your daughter's doing, what she's done, because I feel like that's a huge part of what it means to really be alive and to live your life, right? Mm -hmm. 
to do all these things. And at the end of the day, you can say, I did all these things. I tried all these things. And one of those things is going to end up being what you end up doing. Right. So I love that your, your daughter is very free in that sense and not fearful of failure or taking chances or of change. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think today different than when I grew up, you know, you can do a hundred different things in your life and maybe you should do a hundred, you know, different things in your life. Um, you know, and again, money, it becomes such a, a huge issue in, in, in everybody's life. Um, but then again, you know, there, there are lots of people, young and old, who have sort of said, well, I'm going to, you know, get away from the money. I'm going to go off the grid. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, and, you know, but you, you, you have to have the right attitude. Absolutely. Um, you know, to either get to the point where, you know, and I admire you. I mean, you, you told me about your, your story and... You know, and you know, you did what you needed to do, what you wanted to do, and and now you're doing more. And I think that that, but that you know, at the end of the day, that's really um, important too. Is to try different things. Because if you don't try different things and stretch, then you know, you you end up. I, I was I was having a conversation over Thanksgiving with one of my wife's cousins. We went to the shore to meet up with them for Thanksgiving. So there are about 20 people and he's late fifties, early sixties. And, um, he, you know, it's like, I need another five. And he's recently had some really serious health issues. I need another five years in doing what I'm doing. And it's going to go away because he's in, you know, sort of paper side of advertising. And look, there's no question. Everything's moved to digital. Um, and I, I, I feel, I don't feel bad, I don't feel sorry, but it's sort of like, you know, he's watching the end of his career and trying to stretch it out, but doesn't feel, and this is my read, you know, doesn't necessarily feel confident, and maybe it's the, the illnesses piece of it, to, um, you know, to go off and do something else. I mean, how many crazy people are there that, you know, you've met at 67 years old said, hey, I just had an interview to go learn how to sell solar. Yeah. But some of that's, I, you know, I need to because I need to make money sure. um, for, for whatever reasons. Um, but, you know. I think that also shows your ingenuity. That also shows your drive. That shows your ambition. That shows that you're not complacent, right. you know, because there are a lot of people where naturally it's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, this is it. Life is over. Whatever it is, whatever. Well, makes you I'm retiring, but, um, you know, it drives me crazy going to the doctor's office, you know, because I'm, I'm on Medicare. It's like, okay, when you go home and it's like, wait a minute, how do you know I'm going home? I might be going and I did, you know, I might be going to work. <laughs> you know, my mind is always in, in either customer college visits or, or, you know, something else. It's not about retire what's that yeah sometimes i'm tired sure. but you know it's not, not none of that so yeah. i know i went sort of off track there, no you but. didn't no you didn't no no and, okay. again this is there's no going off track just okay. so you know um and since we're on the topic of of life and career and all that what would you say are um if you have to give life, life advice to, to people listening or watching um what would you say are your three keys to life oof 
So I'm, 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 I'm approach, approaching this question as a young adult watching you, someone that's very experienced, someone that's done a lot, has I mean, a lot of different life experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the things we've talked about. I think try different things. Try think out of the box. Um, you know. Um, Honestly, I want to highlight how important what you just said is. Uh, because even Jordan Peterson, I'm, I'm assuming you're familiar with Jordan Peterson, um, he really uh, pushes this notion a lot, which is the importance of trying different things. Very, very important for everybody. So it's, that's very, I want to just highlight what you just said and how important that is. Um, you know, young people. So I think that, um, and it goes with, within, outside of what I just said too, is learning how to stand up and talk learning in front of your peers, in front of adults, in front of, you know, an audience. I mean, I, I <laughs> so said, my, my daughter, Brittany is an actor and, you know, she'll be shy sometimes. But when she was, you know, eight or nine years old, I'd walk into a supermarket with her and she was the loudest person in the supermarket. And I'd want to go hide under the table until one day I said, you know what, this is fun because she, Make everybody smile. And, um, you know, I think have fun with life. You don't get to live it over again, so you might as well have it, you know, yeah. first time. Um, you know, as I said, I'm working with these young entrepreneurs, and I think what I've tried to, aside from the, the business basics, which is amazing for a seventh, eighth, tenth grader to learn, is to learn how to speak in front of an audience, to do a pitch. And I said, what you don't know is that being able to do that when you go for your college interview, being able to do that. I took Philip networking one day. I think he's, you know, he still like to kick me for that, but we went to, um, uh, one of the local companies was having a networking event at um, one of the sports arenas. It was at the soccer arena. And there were a lot of the presidents of San Francisco Bay. So the junior giants and the junior soccer. And so all these executives, you know, and he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And then we had made him cards and he was 16. Said, Go up and introduce yourself. And, you know, within a half an hour, he had met quite a few and gotten quite a few cards. So it's it's important to, to, to speak distinctly. Now, how to say your name. Interestingly enough, part of um, this, again, young entrepreneur is one of the women is a theater person. And the thing that she has harped on through the three years that I've been in this program is when the kids go to go do their, so they do a, um, you know, like a one minute pitch elevator pitch and then they do a business pitch and she makes them stand up there and repeat and repeat and repeat wow. she said you should be proud of your name you should be clear about your name you should be saying it distinctly because otherwise you get off the stage and the person you're pitching to says who was that so it's a small little thing but it's you know it, it when, when you're you know, trying to promote yourself. And that, at the end of the day, we're all doing that for any number of reasons. You know, if you don't like your name, I guess, you know, change it. Lots of people have done that too, but 
you know, if you're a young person, you should be proud of your name, and you should know how to stand up there and, and say it and talk. And one of the things we also talked about with, and I, I, again, I feel like I'm off track, but I think they're important. You're not. Well, you're not. Um, so, you know, again, working with, so last year, actually, the kid I was working with came in first out of 15 kids for the pitch competition. Wow. And I was blown away because... Most of the time, you know, I only saw the top of his head because he couldn't get his camera. And he was very, you know. But um, one of the tools we all have is this, Zoom. You know, you didn't have it when you were growing up. I didn't have it when I was growing up. If I wanted to practice something, you know, I had a tape recorder with a, you know, cassette tape. And I, you know, talk into it a couple times. What I've tried to convince these kids to do is they're doing, you know, pitch. It's a pitch competition. Is fire up Zoom and talk to it and then watch it and see where you're doing well and see where you're doing, you know, where it needs work. Sure. Um, it's an absolutely phenomenal tool to practice, to get better. And, 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 and I guess that'll lead me to the last one is practice. Practice, practice. You know, as again, I'll talk to my, my kids. Hopefully, they'll know. They won't watch. But you know, <laughs> practice is what makes the great great. Um, if you know, it's rare that anybody, and, and I don't care who it is, whether it's an entertainer or a politician or just you or me, um, can can sort of stand there and. You know, accomplish something without practice. Um, it was, you know, as I talked about Brittany and the ice skating, you know, everybody wants to have a lesson. Everybody wants to have a pro coach them. Even today, I mean, the, one of the biggest businesses is coaching for 15-year-olds or 80-year-olds. And it's great to have a coach, but if you don't practice what the coach tells you over and over and over again, it doesn't really matter. Philip was a golfer. And, um, yeah, and Brittany, you know, gave thousands of dollars of ice skating lessons. It's like, go out there and practice. Well, if the coach isn't there, I might be doing it wrong. Well, the coach told you what to do. You do the best you can. And, and the same with, you know, swinging a golf club. At, at 13, Philip could hit a golf ball 300 yards. Um, and he was not the biggest guy on, you know, the team. Um, but go out there and practice. We lived literally a mile away from, you know, a PGA level golf course on the ocean. Go play. You, he, he worked in the cart barn. You know, he'd meet up with all the Bay Area athletes. Go practice. Golf clubs are sitting in my garage here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've been moving him around from California to here. I told my wife today, if we move, um, he better come down here and find it. It's not coming with us. <laughs> you know, the 23 boxes I have in the storage unit. But, um, I, you know, I think that uh, young people don't understand. Um, you know, if I go sell solar, you know, there's going to be, you know, a, a, some kind of script. Um, and not knowing it is foolish on my part. And in order to learn it, it's, it, it's practice. Sure. Um, and it, any, any real sales pro, you know, will tell you, you know, you got to sit there and, and practice.
And, and it's, not, it's not a matter of rote practice. You practice so that you can get to the point where you can respond. But I think that that's, that's you know, uh, it's not taught uh, and it's forgotten a lot. And I think, I think in, in my experience, uh, watching you know, my kids and watching kids today, that um, they don't, people don't get how important, you know, practices. You know, you yeah. see the band who's out there playing for a million people, but you don't hear about the hours and hours they put in. I know, agree. To be able to do that. I agree. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the greats, all the greats, yeah. they have to practice. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, you know. No, so. thank you, thank you for sharing that. that those are those three things are really, really good advice, um, and that leads me to my next question. So, do you have a? Do you feel like you have a big regret? I mean, we all, we all, I'm sure we can all find a bunch of regrets, but do you feel like you have a big regret in life? And if you do, um, can you say a regret that you don't mind? Obviously, you don't mind sharing. Um, and if what you do differently, I regret. Um, and it could be as simple as I wish I didn't move here or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't define it as a regret necessarily. Okay. Um, but you know, I would so. You know, my wife gets mad at me all the time because I do talk about it freely. So 2008, 2009, that recession, I mean, we owned a home. It's one of two real estate properties that, you know, we've owned over the, over our 38 years of marriage. Um, so we own this beautiful home in Thousand Oaks that um, we were able to buy in 2001. An amazing, sort of one of those amazing stories too, is that we had moved to Southern California and um, we actually had saved enough money to buy a home. The realtors down in Southern California thought I was nuts because I'm like, show me a house. And they'd show me houses for four or $500,000 and say, this is expensive. And I'd say, you don't understand. I just came from Burlingame, California, where this house would be a million and a half dollars. So <laughs> half a million is... And, and we joined a temple and we got involved with a, a, a group of people. One of them was a mortgage broker. And we were out bowling. And I said, hey, Steve, you know, if you come across a house, you know, 400, 500, you know, we, we think we have enough of a down payment to do that. Let me know. A week later, my wife calls and says, hey, Steve said to come buy his house. The house next to his fell out of escrow. Wow. 35 days we were in that house. He made it happen. He made the mortgage happen. Um, house at one point came really close to being worth a million dollars. And then the recession hit. And I lost my job. And my wife lost literally the business that she was doing. And I was, you know, we, I was offered a job in San Francisco. Uh, you know, by my buddy again, uh, if I moved back to San Francisco. And, you know, I had to sell the house short. And um, I, I don't, <laughs> she wanted to rent it. I just didn't feel we could carry both houses. It just, you know, the world was upside down. Um, I don't regret it, but I miss it. 
you know, especially as I told you in the beginning of this conversation, you know, my rent's being supposedly raised by fifteen hundred dollars. I, I, we, we, we had a really rough time, and um, we um, we got even five years ago, enough to the point where you know, um, we went and visited Philip in Australia. And uh, he was, you know, and I came back and a month later got laid off. So, you know, the thoughts of even sort of, you know, at that point, um, trying to buy another house. Was like, right. Um, but I, I, I had a really wonderful house in a really wonderful place. Um, you know, my kids were, you know, in good schools. Um, Thousand Oaks is one of those places where... We were, what, 10 miles from Malibu. The weather was perfect. I mean, sure. literally, you know, California doesn't have the humidity that's up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's not a regret, but it's it's just, you know, it hurts. You know, you know, people right. say, would you move back to California? I said, well, yeah, if I did, Thousand Oaks would be, um, you know, high on the list because yeah. it just... Um, it's a beautiful area. I've been there. Yeah. 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 I mean, it has its issues, you know, there are the, the fires and, uh, you know, but, and I never thought I'd live, you know, anywhere near LA. I just LA, but um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's the same, you know, I like the people and, um, but yeah, we moved to San, back to the Bay Area and the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area too, but it's just too expensive. It's just out of, crazy um my daughter and her boyfriend you know were lucky they found an affordable two-bedroom in palo alto right you know near downtown um and you know that's great but you know prices in the bay area have have been for 25 years just insane absolutely absolutely so um Oh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I have, I know it's getting late on the East Coast, so I have three more questions for you, and we're going to wrap up. The first, I'm going to repeat all of them right now, and then we'll go through them one by one, one by one. The first question is, who's your favorite president and why? The second one is, what is your message to your kids? And then the third one is, how can people find your family business? So we're going to start with the first, which is, who's your favorite president and why? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, Take your time. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've lived through a few of them. Yep, uh, that's exactly why I asked you that question. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, can I, can I, so I would, I would say Joe Biden, except he's not he hasn't been in office long enough to right. sort of get a chance to do what is needed to be done. Right. I mean, I just think he's being undercut in every which way or manner. Yeah, I really think if I if I look in the gosh, I, I'll say Barack. I really I think he came into a situation that was impossible, and, and between him and Biden, I think. You know, they pulled them a miracle out of the hat um, between, you know, what they did with the automotive industry, between what they did 
with just putting the country back on track um, that then, you know, gave us six years of amazing growth. Um, I, I really, and, and, you know, and, and the, this, the other pieces of it, it was, you know, the opening up the doors to LGBT, I can't, the, the, the number of alphabets that are kind of LGBTQ, <laughs> and I think there's like two new ones. I saw it today. <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and um, you know, all, all of that, um, you know, uh, getting rid of don't ask, don't tell. Um, just, you know, just sort of becoming, trying to make this country become a little more human, I think, um, you know, and, um, just some of the things and some of the people that um, made that happen. Um, and, and I'm trying to think of what just came into my mind. And I don't know if you've seen it. You probably did. Maybe there, there, there's, so I, I, I did a, a three day, twice, a three day event on doing virtual events. And one of the pieces um, that they showed, which I had never seen before was the, um, when he, when he was down south in some small town and the, this black woman started a chant that yeah. he then proceeded to use throughout, you know, the rest of his campaign. Yeah. But I think it just, you know, I mean, we won't talk about sort of how it's flip-flop, but I, I really think, I mean, I liked Clinton. I liked a lot of what he did, um, but he was stupid. He's yeah. not the only man I know who, Right. I mean, people are like, oh, that's unusual. It's not. I mean, you know. It's unusual for a president to do that and it comes out. That's, that's that, what. That he, they got, that he, I mean, he, here's the thing. He got caught. And, and I think that that's probably, you want to go back to lessons. Right. It's don't do stupid things that you think you're going to get caught. Because that's what we're all sort of living in today. Um, you know, look, it's not right to um, whether it's Cuomo or um, anybody else, it's not right to hit on somebody who doesn't want to be hit on. It's not right to show up in your underwear or less when somebody walks in your hotel. None of that stuff is right. But as a 60 plus year old man, I've lived long enough to know that many of these guys weren't taught that it was wrong. So to, to, you know, people don't, very few old dogs learn new tricks, you know? Um, so, you know, don't do something that you know could get you caught. Yeah, Absolutely. Same thing with this shooting. God help us, you know, the parents, Mo the mother saying, don't, you know, don't do it because you're gonna get, I mean, don't do it because it's wrong. Right. Okay. So I, I really think when I, you know, I look back over the last 50 years, because I'm, I'm never going to say that there was a Republican that I really liked because yeah. they've driven me freaking up the wall. What are your thoughts on Reagan? Because a lot of people um, usually have decent things to say about Reagan, especially while. Uh, so, so, so here's a strange one. Okay. So high on my list is Nixon. And if you ask me why. Why, yes, why? Because he stopped the draft. And my draft number was 17. Get out of here. No, 
Serious. Wow. My draft number, I don't think I have it anymore. My draft number was 17. If he hadn't stopped the draft, I would have been drafted. And I had thoughts of what I would do because I, I don't know that I could ever carry a gun. Right. So, you know, I lived in New York and Canada wasn't that far and it was definitely something. Um, I've, it's really been interesting. You'd think I would have met more Vietnam vets. I met, I, I, I worked actually in the same office with one and he was pretty destroyed. Mm. Um, Imagine. But um, I, I, I don't like what he did. I don't like the man, but I thank God he stopped the draft because I would have been drafted. No question. No question. Um, but se second, to, second to that, um, no, Barack, I just think did some amazing things. I think he's an amazing man. Um, uh, you know, any chance I get to, um, to, to watch him, to listen to him, um, I do. Um, it's funny. Uh, one of the books, so Brittany, as I said, works at this independent bookstore and she'll bring, she, when she was here last month, she brought a, a, a suitcase full of books. Um, and you know, when, when his book was published, I said, you know, send it to me and it's sitting up in my son's apartment. I'm like, where's the book? Cause I haven't gotten to, I haven't read it yet. And I don't really want to buy another copy of it. It's in the closet. I had no room in the suitcase yeah. one, one these days. Um, I think, um, if Biden gets the chance, I think he will be of equal just because again disaster of just proportions that are impossible to put your arms around right. he's also you know got russia on one side and china on the other side putting pressure that hasn't really you know look there was syria there was the middle east but russia and china are just different right different. i agree yeah so, um, yeah. So what was your second one? Uh, the second question is what is your message? Uh, let's just call it a love letter to your, your, your kids. Um, I think, you know, it, it's that they be happy in their life, um, that they have fun that they respect other people, which I have always, I, I'm so proud of both of them. They have always respect, whether they were four years old, Brittany, you know, helping a friend on the playground or, you know, Philip and his business idea about helping, you know, kids who were in the hospital. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I want them to always think of others. Um, I mean, I think it's important that they think of themselves and that they, you know, push themselves to to be happy and succeed at whatever that is defined you know um by um but you know i'm very proud of them um i i was having janice and i were having dinner with this couple gosh i think it's about four years ago back in in the bay area and it was a couple months after i got laid off and my comment was you know if i do nothing else in my life i'm so proud of two kids that we raised because i just think they're great human beings um, and they're responsible and they care about the world and they care about others and i'm just i'm happy and proud um you know that that's who they are that's beautiful
Well said. <laughs> it sounded like a prepared speech, but that wasn't. <laughs> really, really nothing, nothing. You know, I said I didn't watch your other your podcast, and and some of it was just I just didn't do it, <laughs> and probably my ADHD. But um, I, I, you know, I, I'm I, you know, it's interesting, and, and and I'll just comment before I answer. I've been doing things on Zoom now for, for a long time. I've, you know, look, I've been presenting on tech since the early 2000s. But in the last six months, and maybe it's because we're all sort of finally getting used to it, those of us who haven't gotten tired of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting here looking at myself and much more comfortable mm. with who I am, whether it was these two interviews I've done in the last week and it's like well, who's that person staring back at you know me and i just feel like i'm and maybe it's just you know that age that i can be reflective and you know um you know put it out there but i, I am very comfortable with sort of you know shooting off the hip and and um saying what i need to say and, it, and it's really interesting because those and as I said, I, I don't understand these days, and I don't think it's my age. I think it's just the world. Um, and I, yeah, also, as we've talked, I've been very contrary much of my life. You know, people look at me like, what are you talking about? What? And I'm comfortable with that being okay. Um, I, I, as I also said, I, you know, I've spent the fair amount of time in, in, in therapy between two brothers and family businesses and just my life. And at one point, a psychiatrist said, Alan, you know what? You know what you're talking about. Accept it. Mm. Everybody else around you might not believe you, might not accept what you have to say. Right. And you might come off as they think you're coming off as you're not my boss. Even my son said that to me last week. But, you know, it's like, well, I, I, know, my, I know my truth. I think I know a lot of other people's truth. Maybe that's overstepping. So um, thank you for the compliment, but I, you know, I just, it's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a great answer. That was a great answer. I'm sure your kids would definitely appreciate that if they end up seeing or listening to this. Um, and then my last question is, how can people find you or your family business that are interested in um, booking? Sure, thank you, thank you for that. So. Um, Custom College Visits is our um, business. The website is um, customcollegevisits.com. Um, you know, certainly on the web, um, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Pinterest, <laughs> more, more on Instagram. Um, and, you know, uh, give us a call. Um, the, the number here is 650-931-4515. Or, you know, alan at customcollegevisits.com. Any one of those um, will get to us. And, you know, we love to, you know, have conversations. You know, we, we certainly don't do hard sell. Um, we're here because we've gone through it. I mean, that's sort of part of what we talk about of what we why we built the business you know we understand the frustrations that people have when they're trying to put their kids through this college admission process sure sure anybody you know that's sort of in the middle of that to give us a call check the website out there's there's a fair amount of content on it right and just to be clear for people listening uh the, his email is spelled a-l-a-n 
not A L E E N, just to be just A L yeah A L A N. Correct. Perfect. Well, Alan, you're amazing. Thank you again for coming on board. It's been a fun conversation. I've enjoyed it. So thank you, Michael. And um, have a wonderful holiday season. And, and, you know, let's catch up. Absolutely. Absolutely.